Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. I'm your host, SBJ, and we got the A-team back today. We got... I want to be Murdoch. I'm totally Murdoch. Murdoch? I don't know any A-team references. Oh my, I hate... I know Mr. Is so Mr. T. I'll be Mr. T. <laughs> okay, because that's the only one you know, right? <laughs> yep, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got uh, we got Alan and Sean with, with us today. Yep. I'm Alan! I pity the fool who uh, does this joke. <laughs> I'm Sean. Sorry, we'll keep going. Starting off strong. A little rusty. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the Tuesday Night Podcast, we are not a terrible 80s TV show. Uh, we <laughs> are a podcast about board gaming and tabletop games and all kinds of games. And before we dive into things, we actually have two segments for you guys today. We have our table talk, which is what the games we've recently recently been playing. And then we will be talking about uh, BGGCon, which is the board game geek convention that Alan and Sean went to for our Ooh. second half. Woo! I'm excited about topic time. Lots to talk about BGGCon. Lots to talk about. Uh, so before we dive into things, how was your guys' Thanksgiving? Oh. Hey, it was really good. Yeah. I, I was... just... Thankful Go for, for it, you guys. Yeah, I was thankful I was, for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I was thankful for talking at the same time. <laughs> um, I had a sort of an interesting moment. Um, we are kind of sponsoring some Chinese international students at my parents' house. And so we had a lot of Chinese people at my parents' house for Thanksgiving this year. And I gave one of them a ride home. And he was, I was asking him, like, you know, what he's into, what kind of shows, what kind of books he likes. And he really likes Game of Thrones. So we talked about Game of Thrones. He talked about how he likes the books better than the shows, yada, yada, yada. And so I asked him the big question on my mind, which was, have you ever heard of Dungeons and Dragons? And he hadn't because he's from China. <laughs> and <laughs> so I was like, uh, describe, describing Dungeons and Dragons to somebody for the first time fresh. He's like an engineering student. He's into Game of Thrones. It blew his mind. Like, people do this. I can pretend to be a wizard. And I was like, you definitely could pretend to be a wizard. So I'm hoping to put together a D&D group of all... <laughs> Chinese international students here in the next little bit, which I think could just be a really fun experience um, because they won't have any preconceived notions of what the game is supposed to be like. And I'm curious what kind of gameplay that would yield. Huh. That sounds really cool. Really cool. I'm one of those rare blasphemers that says the show's better than the books. Done them both. Ooh. Like the show's more. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people want to burn me for that one. <laughs> I couldn't finish reading the first book, but you know I'm caught up on the show, so that's pretty much where my heart lies too. It's a difficult read. It's a difficult read. You start talking about a character that you have no context for, and you have to kind of be a detective and eventually figure out, why should I care about this person? And it isn't until chapters into it you think, oh, okay, now I care about this person. It's a tough I'm read. It's really hard for me, and Alan knows this from having to explain game designs he's working on over the phone to me several times. It's hard for me to keep a f like lots of pieces of information in my head at the same time. And so remembering like why something is a big deal or seeing hidden connections between two characters completely lost on me. What about you, SBJ? How about your Thanksgiving? Uh, it was chill. I, uh, I went up to St. Cloud, Minnesota uh, for my girlfriend's family. We alternate years for Thanksgiving, so this was our Minnesota year. And it was fine. It's like an eight-hour drive there and an eight-hour drive back, so that was pretty rough. But uh, her family's really great in wanting to play board games and new games. Um, oh, I like where this is going. I like the emphasis on wanting to play board yeah. games. Yeah, they're always, they're, they're, they're always excited what I, for what I bring. 
Well, and I, I just like the idea of like wanting to play games sounds a lot like Ominous. wanting to learn a second language. Like, I really want to learn Spanish, but after two hours, I'm like, screw this. I don't no even want to know how to say screw this in Spanish. <laughs> uh, so I'm excited to hear about that. Oh, my Thanksgiving uh, was relatively drama free. I know my family listens to this podcast, so here's the dirt on them. <laughs> Not really. No, it was actually really chill. It was cool. There was a whole bunch of nieces and nephews there that I got to throw around. And it was the first time I felt that no one was looking at me like I was the crazy uncle that was going to break the kids. So <laughs> that's it awesome. was it was good for me. Yeah, it was good for me. I brought no games whatsoever. Nice. Because I you play games is, all the time. That is not the conducive environment for games. <laughs> However, all of my friends. Why, why is it not conducive? It's. We All right. Have time. Yeah, <laughs> enough time. Uh, get the couch. I'm gonna sit on it. You guys can totally be my therapist. I'll tell you why. No, it's because my family's very loud. Uh, they're very kind of opinionated. They're very saturated characters. I want you to understand that I'm probably the quiet one in the family. Ooh. So, yeah, it's hard to believe. I know. Listeners yeah. at home, if you can't tell, Alan is very loud. Thanks. So yeah, it's very saturated and I, yeah, it's more about talking and trying not to get offended and while not trying to offend others. It's great. I love my family. It's amazing. Amazing time. See, I think the, maybe the difference between your family and my girlfriend's family is none of us have anything in common. Mm. Even you and your girlfriend? I mean, we do. But then if we, if we go off and do something, we're like we're outed as like not participating in family things. Oh yeah. Yeah. There usually is the guilt with a family. Like, Hey, why don't we do this kind of stuff more often? And our responses are, Hey, we're really busy. Why can't we just pretend that we live in California or Canada or something? And we can only do this on special occasions. So let's make this one really special. (laughs) Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Realistically, I see my family quite often. I just want to know which one you enjoy more. Do you enjoy it when Irene has to go to your family or when you have to go to Irene's? Let's get into this. Uh, I want you in trouble by the end of the episode. No, I mean, I think we're both in agreement that her family is better because my parents are the worst. (laughs) I love it. So good. Why is is her family better? Uh, Because his family's the worst. Yeah. (laughs) By default. (laughs) Yeah, by default. Uh, I don't know. Her family's just nicer. And, like, the only complaint is the drive to get there. Mm. Cool. All right. Now let's segue into what you played at Thanksgiving. It's time for a table talk. (laughs) So, yeah, we can jump right into table talk. I have a couple things, and I'll start with. I'll start with some stuff. I'll let you guys talk, and then I'll come back because I have to complain about a certain game. Love it. It's here. Um, so I took uh, I took a bag full of games over. I didn't. Anytime I take a bag full of games over, don't even get to all of them. But um, I took. I listened to the last podcast. You guys talked about which games you'd bring, and I liked your list. Yeah. Hey, the B Squad did amazing, by the way. Really good work. <laughs> so, yeah continue um so i took a the first game we played was uh code names which uh i haven't played since gen con so i was really excited to play uh, we normally don't do team games unless i don't know i guess we do the resistance or werewolf but that's not really like you don't really pick your team right sure no, team picks random. you 
Yeah. <laughs> the team picks you. Uh, so we did Codenames, uh, which was a little little bit lighter, and the first game went off great. Everyone liked it, and we switched new leaders. So Irene and I were leaders to begin with because I think the leaders uh, play a more important mm-hmm. role. Um, and Just I like in everything. And <laughs> that's right. Just like uh, U.S. <laughs> Uh, quickly learned that if you have two bad leaders, the game is a flop. Oh, like if you two people can't, can't pick give, up. Y- yeah. They can't, they can't ever put two words together. So for eight rounds, and I know Irene's family doesn't listen to this, so I'm going to throw them under the bus a little bit. Yes. Meet me. When every word you have is just like apple, one, cats, <laughs> one, it's a real dry and boring game. Oh, yeah. I was a terrible leader. We played at BGGCon with... Uh, Steve Bonacore of Stronghold Games and Travis and Worthington and a whole bunch of other people that were really cool. And I, uh, on like our last turn of the game, did not give our team enough clues, like enough numbers, enough chances, I guess you'd call it, to even win the game. I was yeah, like, you, chair, you. one. <laughs> and they had like three cards left to go. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? It was great. It was myself and Steve Bonacore of Stronghold Games. We were the code givers in the one round. In the next round, Sean was with, uh, no, not Travis. I don't know who your fellow code name giver uh, was. Bet- Betsy, I think her name was. Yeah, that's right. And we had three left, three left, <laughs> if I remember correctly. And Sean gives us a password and the number one. And so. <laughs> There's just no hope here. <laughs> so we got the one he meant to say, and then we used our extra clue to get that. And they only had one word left, so this is our last chance. So we knew they were going to get it. And then I said, all right, for our final guess, we will say, oh, wait, we don't get a final guess. Thanks, Sean. Steve Wanacore lost it. He lost it, yeah. <laughs> yeah good guy. It was well, a good group. In a good way. Yeah, they mm-hmm. were feeling no pain. There was a lot of alcohol there. Yeah. Good time. So Sorry, SBJ. Just no, had that's, a funny little codename story. I'm glad you guys were able to relate to my story. Because when, when I'm looking at the board as a guesser, I'm thinking of like, oh, I could combine these two words. I could combine these two words. Absolutely. And even like looking back of like, okay, I was blue team. So now I'm looking at how the blue words, like I felt like I could provide like candy three or like apple four. Like you, you almost have to make a stretch in order to take the lead in that game. It was tough. Yeah, I boxed myself into a corner. I left myself three unrelated words at the end, where I probably could have grouped one of those in with something else earlier if I'd thought more about it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, first game went great. Second game, not so much. But I, I think they still enjoyed it. I just kind of realized that uh, maybe, maybe don't let people be leaders if <laughs> if they're not strong. Um, which which kind of led into the second game we played, which was Concept, which we've talked about before. Yeah. And Concept overall kind of flopped. What? And I think the the reason why, so I, I pitched it. I was like, it's... Uh, you should have just brought back our podcast and played the elevator pitch we did for Concept. Yeah, yeah, I should have. Um, but I pitched it. They all seemed excited. And then it was like, okay, we'll break into two teams. We'll go back and forth between the teams. I think there was eight of us, so one of us will get a guess. First to 12 points win, blah, blah, blah. And it was like every time, besides myself and Irene, it was just like two minutes of somebody just staring at the board before they even like laid down their main concept and 
tried to build on that concept. So there was just so much downtime of like... That doesn't sound fun. No, it was just... And everyone did that. And they were like, this game's kind of hard. And I was like, maybe you're picking the wrong words. Like, I don't... Maybe you just suck. Definitely. Yeah, I don't don't know if they they were lacking creativity or they were just getting bad draws. But like when when you're just looking at a blank board as they try to think of one word to describe to you it just really kills the momentum yeah that might be the party game killer is thoughtfulness <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i don't even think flipping a timer would have helped i think it just would have stressed out the group even more hey did we ever explain code names by the way or because i remember at the at gen con where we kind of realized that you were a big deal with podcasting they spent so much time talking about their games of Codename, which I'd never played, and it was 10 minutes of just pure confusion of me thinking, "How the, what is this game? How do they play this game? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I thought we didn't do an elevator pitch. This was before the time of eleva- elevator pitches because our show is so old. Um, but we explained it. I but think. I thought we did explain it in episode one or two. Got a grid of... And everybody out there has a copy of code names right now so yeah anyone listening to this is just our wives and maybe not even them let's be honest so anyone who sure. listens to this probably knows code names yeah well those were the two games i kind of oh i also played mafia de cuba um i did that too ooh. but i didn't i didn't play it enough and i, I don't feel like i could talk about it good or bad yet i, I would need another play session so uh do you think i'd rather you do an elevator pitch for it no, I don't. I played with a very small group, so I don't think I got the full like experience. Ten, yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe. Should I just pick it up from there? Maybe you can elevator pitch it then. Oh, geez. All right, you're gonna put it onto me, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, wait, no, no, no. Stop Ding. that crap. <laughs> yeah, you got to give me someone I'm pitching to. Oh, that's right. You're pitching. To French soldiers in a trench in World War One after they've been shelled by the Germans for the last two weeks straight. <laughs> All right. I'm looking at a copy of the Grizzled right now. That's okay. I'm... That's that's the inspiration. All right. So I'm basically in the Grizzled explaining Mafia to Cuba. Exactly. Right. Okay. Jacques Le Bleu. What did I screwed? Well, we're in here getting bombed by the Germans. Let's play an Italian game. Yeah. I know this is really muddy down here, but let me tell you, we can do a pretty quick game that's a social game, because one of us is going to be the godfather, and we have a cigar box. You see the cigar box? I've got a certain number of diamonds, between 10 and 15 diamonds in here. Only I really know how many diamonds are in here, and I'm going to pass it along. And it's going to go from player to player to player as we sit in a circle, and what happens is... Everyone is either going to pick up a certain number of diamonds, which you shouldn't do because then you're a dirty thief, or you pick up a token, and that dictates what character you are. You could be one of my loyal henchmen, or you could be a taxi cab driver, or you could be an FBI or a CIA agent. Eventually, it comes back to me, and I see how many diamonds are left, and it's up to me and my supposed teammates to figure out where all my diamonds went. If you like Mafia, um, you like Resistance, or if you like all those other social hidden role games, 
This one might be for you because it's quick, it's relatively light, and what's cool is it's an actual cigar box where the rules are on the inside of the lid. So even if you're thinking, I don't know what the hell's going on, or I'm not listening to this elevator pitch, when no. the box, oh, I can just <laughs> the box. Now let's go. Who is passing around a cigar box filled with diamonds? That's what I want to know. Uh, Godfather. Godfathers. Yeah. He sounds like a good guy. <laughs> the fun thing is about the game is when someone's a godfather, they tend to do a horrible impersonation like this. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm trying hey to do guys, there. I'm the godfather. <laughs> I'm going to eat a whole bunch until I die. I used to be a really good looking man back in black and white day. Ooh, he looked really anyway. good. Yeah. Yeah, he was smoking hot, man. And then talk about letting yourself go. But yeah, uh, I'm a Marlon Brando fan. Anyway, um, I'm a Marlon Brando fan in that I also am letting myself go. <laughs> just following, <laughs> just following in his footsteps. The truth of the matter is, you're a really, really good-looking dude, man. I'm gonna crush on Sean a little bit. Crush Aww. on Sean, and he does all this <laughs> self-deprecating humor about his weight and things. And as mean as it sounds, like I think you're a good-looking guy. And then when I look at pictures of you when you're thinner, this is gonna sound totally judgmental, but you know it's true. It's like, holy crap, you're a really good-looking guy. <laughs> That's why I'm leaving. I'm doing the Marlon Brando model. Yeah. I'm just I'm in that middle phase right now where people are like, oh, I could see, I could see what you're talking about, but soon I'm gonna be full on apocalypse. Now it's gonna yeah. be good. <laughs> the difference is he was really famous before he started. Just that's true. Giving up. That is the one thing I have not done yet. I'm gonna give up first and then become famous. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Yeah. So let me talk a little bit more about Mafia to Cuba. Please, please do. Because you've never played it, right, Sean? No, no, no. And I heard you guys talking about it and Scout and Caitlin talking about it, and it sounds really interesting. It is. Uh, you know, Travis Worthington, good guy. He's going to hate me for saying this, but I like it so much more than The Resistance for very specific reasons. For one thing, Resistance is very clunky in that you have to keep track of cards and who's on what team and uh, who's the hammer. At what point do the spies automatically win? Uh, it's also very argumentative. It can burn bridges socially, accusing one person of lying, and they can say, I'm not lying, just emotionally charged. This has that potential, so I would recommend it only for people that you really enjoy and are amazing sports. Um, How many people did you play with? I think we played with nine, including okay. my crazy Aunt Carol, which really added a lot. And the crazy thing is, she smoked us. Here's this woman in her upper 60s, and she lives alone, and she decided to just come on over to one of our Tuesday gatherings. So she's hanging out with a whole bunch of like late teens, 20 and 30-year-olds. She fit right in and actually owned it. It was amazing. But uh, when you pick up a token, you always have to pick up something, either diamonds or the token. If you pick up diamonds, you're automatically a thief. And if you pick up a token, there's the loyal henchman, which means you have to help the godfather find the thieves. But if you get an FBI CIA agent, you want the, the godfather to accuse you of cheating, of stealing, and you automatically win if you get accused. It's kind of like the Tanner and One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really quick. I thought it was really smooth and yeah, I think it's a solid entry, but you didn't have a great experience SBJ. Uh, no, I played, uh, with six, which is the minimum. I believe the game is six to 12 and I was the godfather the first time and I explained the rules. Everyone got it and it went around and the only thing left in the box was two henchman tokens, <laughs> which was funny. 
but then three of three people all took one diamond each and i i caught that right away and then in my head i'm thinking like you can't win by taking one diamond it's the person with the most diamonds <laughs> and then it just came down to a person who took like 10 diamonds and the cia agent and <laughs> since no one was on my team it was just a 50 50 crapshoot of like who took what yeah, it becomes more of a werewolf game then because you just have to read. That's one of the things I like about it is that it has that werewolf aspect of just total intuition, intuiting who you think stole. But it also has more of the two rooms and a boom or a little bit more resistance logic where you can actually figure it out. Definitely One Night Ultimate Werewolf where you just ask people, what did you take from the box? What did you take from the box? Um, I really like the taxi cab driver. Because they just win if the person sitting to the right wins. And screw it, I'm going to share one of the coolest moments. So I get the box and I see the taxi taxi cab driver token is still in it. So I don't take it. I take some diamonds and I pass it to my left. And then I whisper to the person to my right, hey, I took the taxi cab driver token. Because I knew that person saw that they were giving me the taxi cab driver token with some diamonds. So what are you? And they totally believed me. So they just told me everything. So it was cool. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there's like moments like that. The other thing I really liked about it was while people are passing the box around, you want to have some side conversations because you don't want it to be obvious what you're taking out. So in the meantime, it's like, hey, guys, let's just hang out while we pass this box around. And our conversation that we had was, what do we do with our TP? Do we fold it before we wipe or do we just wad it up before we wipe? And what was interesting is... <laughs> Are you all, threatening me? <laughs> all of our guys, all the guys said they fold and all the girls said they wad. I wonder what that's up. What's up with that? Hmm. So you, so when I was hmm. watching, not to get too off topic from your teepee, but when I was watching reviews, <laughs> a lot of complaints were it was hard to hide what you were taking from the box. Yeah, we were sitting around a table, and we were definitely loud and obnoxious enough that it made it very obvious. Plus, there's the gentlemanly, I guess, civilized understanding that don't try to look at what someone's doing. So we had a very engaging engaging conversations, like the TP conversation, to make sure we weren't doing it. But here's what I do recommend, is you get a whole bunch of little plastic. You get put in, like, paper clips or something like that that are useless so that there's always something jiggling around yeah i did that yeah easy fix what Uh, did you put in i put in like some dice and it's like like nickels and pennies nice yes smart speaking of werewolf type games uh i had one of my better werewolf experiences at bgg con with alan oh yeah it's your turn it is my turn shut up sbj (laughs) (laughs) no um we played fiverwolf the last night for a few hours at like two in the morning with scout caitlin and scott some of our you know, best friends in the board game industry and play testers for terms and a boom. Um, and really amazing people. I learned a lot about Werewolf just from playing with them. Love um, those guys. And it really made me think Fiverwolf is an amazing game. And Alan's got these versions that he's printed up that have Fiverwolf, um, Dr. Boom, and uh, Micro like a Russian, Russian roulette. roulette. Micro yeah. Russian roulette in them. We handed that, those out for free to people to stop by at, our uh, Origins, right? Um, Origins be pretty much every friggin' con that we've ever been to. But I haven't gotten to play it a lot, and it it was really, it was a lot of fun, because they break things down, not on an emotional level, but on a really interesting logical level. Like, all right, well, Hunter 
is a seer claim, which I thought was just the coolest phrase ever. And I wanted to get printed on a shirt. Hunter is a seer claim. Um, but it was really interesting just seeing. Wait, let's elevator pitch this Fiverr Wolf for Sean. Put you in the same situation we just were in All right. where I was. Uh, SBJ, give him, give him a elevator passenger. Uh, you will be pitching to a train conductor who just found out that the bridge is broken in 30 seconds. All right. Sounds good. Let's do it. Hey, man, I know that we're about to run off this bridge right here because you failed to do your job. But I think we should play a quick game of Five Wolf here. It's five cards. It's the seer, a werewolf, a sorceress, a hunter, and one vanilla villager. And we play, uh, basically, it's like two nights because the first, oh, no, it's, it's usually one night, right? Nobody dies at the beginning. And then the first person to die or get lynched becomes the moderator for the second night when the powers go off. So no powers happen before the game starts. It's super light, super fast, uh, really chill. And oh, my God, the bridge. That's good. But yeah, it's a good, um, it's sort of like One Night Ultimate Werewolf before One Night Ultimate Werewolf became a thing. I still love One Night Ultimate Werewolf, but the fact that you can carry this around. Um, in your wallet. In your wallet is is really cool. And with the right group, it's very fun. A lot of good conversation, a lot of good uh, ferreting people out. Um, and since you get to play it a lot, you get the meta thing, which is fun. Like, you were this last time, you were that last time, you know, um, the gambler's fallacy, all that sort of weird stuff. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. It was also three in the morning. We were totally yeah. chill. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying chill. to buy time because my uh, flight out was at eight in the morning. So I figured, uh, let's just hang out at this con until then. Because the con's in the airport. Well, no. It's attached to a hotel that's attached to the airport. Sorry. An- another late night game we played. Alan, did you want to talk about it? Matt Fantastic's game? You mad, bro. You mad, bro. Yeah, you mad, bro. Uh, Sure. Uh, you mad bro so mad fantastic we should talk about him maybe in the topic of the episode but you mad bro is a game made by matt fantastic which is an interesting guy slash experience all on in itself because matt fantastic is a totally i don't want to say chill dude but drunk really, dude that's he's what always he's he's always drunk uh he's usually wearing a dress so he likes to cross dress. He likes to come as a booth babe wearing leather and bondage gear. Anyway, he makes games and he has his game company. I think it's pretty prettiest princess games. Anyway, yeah, I think it's I'll have to check that out. Sorry, Matt. But anyway, so he's we I was on my way out. We were done with Fiverr Wolf, and as we're it's walking away, five like, in the morning. Yeah, he's like, Hey, play this game really quick. It's super short. And he gives us his own elevator pitch for it. And he says, you're on the Jersey Shore hanging out with a whole bunch of Jersey guys. And Cthulhu has risen, has actually successfully been summoned. But Jersey is so polluted that he dies of pollution almost instantly. And now his body has collapsed on the shores of New Jersey. So these Jersey dudes uh, dare each other to run up and grab one of his tentacles. Can you be the bro that takes the most tentacles? Or are you going to go mad trying to do it? Because you mad, bro. And it was simply a press your luck game. Super simple. Bare Just bones. Yeah. Totally bare bones. And Sean and I, let's be honest, Sean. 
What were your thoughts as we were sitting down to play this game? I thought this was a pile of horse shit, and I can't believe this drunk asshole is going to make us play it at 5 o'clock in the morning. I was pissed. <laughs> yeah, we're like, got <laughs> sticky conversations like, all right, let's do this. He really wants us to. So we sit down, and there's five of us playing. It's a small deck of cards. Four of these cards, on the face of them, say, you mad, bro. And that's the card if you draw, you're out. Then there's eight tentacle cards, and then there's uh, eight trash cards, which are just garbage cards that don't do anything. The tentacle cards are what you want to get points. But there's also four times two tentacle cards, which is worth two single tentacle cards. All you do is on your turn, you either draw a card or you pass, basically fold and say you're out. If you draw a you mad bro card, you're out of the round. Then you draw, if you draw a tentacle card, it's cool, but you keep all the cards you draw face down unless it's a you mad bro card. And you go around until there's just one person standing or everyone folds, then you reveal how many tentacles you have. Whoever has the most tentacles scores uh, a win, and the first one of three wins wins the game. And when you score a win, that tentacle comes out of the deck, sort of altering the yeah, the makeup. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You keep the tentacle in front of you, face up, showing that you have that tentacle, your win. So, yeah. So what were your thoughts, Sean? I mean, it, it's push your luck in its barest, most essential form. I think the theme is hilarious. It was really early, so it took me a while to realize that you, Mad Bro, was referencing the fact that you were going crazy and wasn't just a total non sequitur. But um, we played it for 30, 45 minutes. I mean, it was very easy to keep talking. Um, it was kind of like, almost like playing Russian roulette. Like, you're just drawing, 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 pressing your luck. The math is hard, but not so hard that it's not worth doing. I was really impressed. Yeah, it was super casual, ridiculous, and there was this moment where I look across the table at Sean, and he looks at me, and we had this connection where we, re- where we realized, oh my god, we're having fun. We're just chilling out, yeah. just casually playing this. Like this is actually like I'll so, buy this game. So stupid, so simple, and so awesome. I loved it. And and I, we should mention that he started off by saying this is barely a game, and so that late, that early in the con, it's the last night. I'm going to take Alan to his terminal right after this. Um, but you know, we haven't really ever gone that hard on BGG Con where we just played a lot of games, so it's kind of hard to say no. But I was. I mean, I was really impressed with some cool art um, and a sort of slick marketing campaign. This game could be like Flowerfall, if anybody remembers that from three years ago, where it'll just sell at a print run and there'll only be, you know, 800 people who even have a copy of the game, but it'll kind of be a coveted little mini game in the industry, I think. Or Speaking of which, up. we're already, I think, like 30 minutes into this episode. <sighs> yep. Time. Jeez. Sorry, SPJ. Just cut out all the Thanksgiving stuff. That's cool. <laughs> no, the truth of the matter is, is that we're we're recording this on a Sunday because we had Thanksgiving on Thursday, so we uh-huh. couldn't record on Thursday. And I asked, when are we going to record? And SBJ said, ah, I don't know. I, I think we don't have time. And I begged and pleaded, like, well, maybe Sunday. But SBJ, you're going to be so busy with Cyber Monday, you don't have time to edit, so you're going to be editing right after this episode. I'm going to try, yeah. yeah. Just put it all up. So no more mistakes, Sean. No more mistakes. <laughs> That's fine. Sorry, uh, guys. Do you want to put your foot down? Should we not make this a long episode, or should we just go for it? Uh, no, I think we should just go for it. Um, we got time. All right, let's make it fast. Let's go to the topic of the episode <laughs> then, yeah? Uh, let me. Can I complain about a game real quick? Please, please complain please. about a game. Yeah, make us feel better. <laughs> I feel like I've been complaining this whole episode. Uh, no. So before we get to the board game geek convention stuff, 
which is, will be mostly be Alan and Sean talking, me asking questions. Uh, I had some friends over out of town. Uh, funny, they're from Minnesota. Um, so they were on their way back. They came over. We played some games. We played Evolution, which went really well. They all really liked it. Nice. Uh, I, I think I did a pitch for that on episode three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I which got that. a lot of compliments, by the way. You did a fantastic job, and People they should give you. Game. Yeah, they bought that because of your talk. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that was like the second or third time I played it. Uh, it still holds up. I still really, really like it. Um, but we played Yardmaster. Interesting. Ah, that's Patrick Nichols, man. Yes. and Love uh, that cover. Crash Games. Fantastic art. It was a Kickstarter. I got it like a year ago. I finally broke the seal last night, and now I'm going to complain about it. Let's hear it. So we were we were doing five players. Everyone was having a good time, and uh, the there's a there's a chip in that says two to one, and so if you have a red chip, you're supposed to play two red cards, and it turns into any wild card. So the goal of the game is to get 16 points, at least with five people. So you can do that by buying train cars in the center. So if I have f- four green cards in my hand, I can buy the four green train car which gives me four points if there was a one yellow train car i would play one yellow card in my hand to get the one yellow train car it's very it's like almost like uno um but in order to line up the train cars it has to either be the number that matches or the color so if i have a four green i can match it with a four blue because they're both four or i could match it with a if i have a four green i could match it with any other number green because they're both green that makes sense. I'm with you. So you're placing, you're building a train in front of you, basically. Correct. Got it. Because um, I've played Yardmaster Express, but not Yardmaster. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, I, I heard they're very similar. So um, we start the game. We're going. Everyone's buying the ones and the twos. Real easy, right? They're buying the ones and the twos. I decide to go with the, I'm just going to draw cards and pass, and I'm going to buy the big train cards. I'm going to buy the four pointers. And I just need four, four train cars to win the game whereas everyone's gonna have these long trains of one and twos and they're gonna be competing for it but not me i'm gonna go for this big strategy you're so smart i love your brain (laughs) master of the yard uh so everyone has points on the board i have nothing and then in two turns i'm able to buy two four so i go from nothing to eight points perfect uh we're going again i get enough i buy the third train car so now i'm at 12 points Ahead of everyone, all I need is a green card or a four. And that last four is what I need to win the game. What I realized, though, is while I was playing, there were already two fours taken. And there are five colors in the game. So then, at that point in the game, I realized that I need nothing but green to connect my cars. Because there are no more fours. Oh, shit! You're losing me. Uh, so the game, <laughs> so um, there are four ones of every color. There are three twos of every color. There are two threes of every color, and there are one four of every color. Someone already bought your fourth four. Yes. Well, there are five fours together. I have three of them. Two other people have oh. two of them. So I cannot finish connecting the train car. And then at that point, I realized that all the greens were taken. So I cannot win the game now. You suck, man. Here's the funniest thing. I thought this was going to be a complaint about the game, but it's it's starting to sound like a complaint about your thinking and strategy during the game. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to win this way. 
not paying attention to all the greens going away. Oh crap, there go the fours. Oh wait, there's nothing I can do. But I can see, which one is it? Are you complaining about your strategy or the I game? Think I'm, I'm complaining about the game mechanics because I realized this halfway through the game and literally my turns are nothing now. Everyone else is playing uh, and I can't because I cannot win. You're eliminated at that point. This right. is a game without elimination that should just say elimination. But I went from really enjoying the game to going, okay, I can't, I, there's nothing I can do to win. I got punished for doing a strategy that is found in other games very frequently, but I got locked out of that. This exact same thing happened to Denzel Washington in the train movie Unstoppable. <laughs> he needed the fifth, fourth train, but mm-hmm. the greens were all gone. Yep. The greens were all gone. Are you calling so me I reread the ru- so I reread the rule books and I reread the rule book because I thought I did something wrong because obviously the game doesn't tell you that, hey, you should watch out because there's only this amount of cards. You know, that's interesting. That's a topic I'd love to talk about another time because we've gotten crap for that with Terms of the Booms rule book about where's the line between rules and suggest and strategy? Like at what point should the game, should the rule book say, hey, just so you know, don't do this. It's a bad idea. You know, Um I totally, it's one of the things that really hurts is even our good friend Matt Snagrass still says, here's what I want to know. Where in the Two Rooms and a Boom rule book does it actually tell you how to play? And I point right here and it says, say anything you want while trying to nominate a leader of your room. The leaders are in charge of the hostage exchange. It's like, yeah, that doesn't tell me how to play. Like, do you, do you want me to tell you strategy? What do you want? It's like, I don't know. I read that and I don't know how to play after I hear the rules. And he's not the only one that said that. So it's, it's, it's difficult. It's a sticky thing. I, it's, I, yeah, it's, there's a tension there of like how much, because, you know, we're also f- competing with concerns of uh, cost, making the rule book too long, you know, things like that. Yeah. I think a lot of it's been addressed in, in video tutorials, but um, I think that's a common struggle for people who write rules is how much of it is just what is absolutely legal and illegal if it's not mentioned here you can do it like the constitution or something and how much of it is um hey this is the most effective way to play this game yeah so i i reread the rule book and it said like if you have if you're unsure or you don't want to lock you not lock yourself they didn't use the term lock yourself out but they pretty much said like if you don't have to lay down your train cars to form your train you can put them under your engine and then at any point you can connect your cars and I was like, well, I didn't really think about that before I started the game because it was the first time I was playing. But to me, that kind of destroys the theme of the game of watching people build their trains. If everyone's going to play so conservatively and they don't want the situation that I had, which is probably a rare situation, just buying train cars and like storing them doesn't, you're not actually building a train at that point. You're just buying cards. And then at one point you're going to lay them all down and go, I win. That's rough. Now, I'm assuming you can see what other people buy, so you knew that other people bought the fours, or is it possible that that could happen and you'd have no idea? Well, when the fours were, when the last four came up, somebody bought it, which is which is fine. They did like they did a really good play and bought it. They didn't they didn't buy it because they were like spiting me. They just bought it because they had the cards and they matched the color. But when I realized that the only way I could win was green, I vocalized that. And I didn't know how many green cards were left. I was trying. I was counting around because everyone was playing. No one was storing cards, be, their cards, because it was like, well, I'm either going to buy the number or I'm going to buy the color. And I'm just going to continue on building my train. Oh, man, I wish I was there to see you realize the moment when you did the counting and you th- realized, 
All the green cards are gone. Well, uh, well, when I realized that there was only one green card left, then somebody bought it because they knew I couldn't win at that point. Dick! So, like, like, props on them, but I don't want to put 20 minutes into a game and into a strategy to lose because there's nothing else. Like, I don't want... My, my turns were draw two cards. Okay. Uh, like, I'm drawing two cards because I have to do something on my turn, but there's no way I can win. Whereas, at least in other games where there's, like, in other games it was like, oh, I lost because I needed one more turn. Or I lost because... I misplayed this card. Like, mm. I lost because I did a strategy that closed on me. And I can't I can't find that in any other game. I'm trying to think of, like... Sounds like Sean's love life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like that in every game of Seven Wonders I play, but mostly because I don't know what's going on, and I have to wait till the end to find out if I've, if I've been doing well or not. <laughs> right, but at, at the end of, like, Seven Wonders, everyone has a point total, whereas at the end of, like... I don't know. Oh, you had a point total. I, I did have a point total. It was total. 12. <laughs> I mean, what I could have done is I could have bought other people's cards and screwed them over, but why would I want to make a game go on longer that I can't possibly win? I think we're touching upon something else here is when a game can crash for a player, it's really hard to still spiritually be in the game. So I'm sure a lot of people will say, well, SBJ, you could have had a different strategy. And part of the game is recognizing that's not a viable strategy at some point during the game. And I think you've acknowledged that. But I think the point you're making is really important. And that is a good game, a really solid game, would avoid that almost at all costs. Because the rule in restaurants is very similar to the rule of board gaming. In restaurants, when I worked as a server... The owner told me almost every day that I walked in, remember, if you give someone great service, they might, they just might, one out of four might tell someone and they may come back. But if you give someone bad service, it's guaranteed they're going to tell at least four people how horrible their experience was and we won't get those people back or those other four. I think what you're hitting upon is that in board gaming. If one person has one bad experience, it's going to tank the game not just for them, but spread around. So if you're making a game, and I guess this is a note to game designers, make sure your game doesn't tank like that. Right. Thanks for that validation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just a bummer. It went from me really liking the game to me going, I probably won't play that again. Oof. I'm sorry for your loss, man. That hurts. Rough games. We should have a whole episode dedicated to you. Heartbreaking moments. Heartbreaking <laughs> moments. Yeah, let's put it on the list. I've got mine with them. Um... What's that game I used to love? Sentinels of the Multiverse. That's yeah. my big heartbreak. Yeah. Well, you went from liking it, and then at one point you were like, nope, not anymore. <laughs> sort of. I'll save it for that, that episode. <laughs> well, we talked about it before. That's about true. Yeah, we talked. So, hmm. Well, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about your guys' experiences at uh, BGGCon. Buckle uh, up. That's why we had Will and Logan on last week's episode, because you guys were off doing the convention scene. And I was oh, yeah. stuck here in Wisconsin in the cold recording podcast. It's a hard life, man. It's rough. It's a hard <laughs> life. I don't think probably, that's an actual song. Probably my favorite BGGCon we've ever been to together. And probably, probably. I have to assume my favorite overall. Why do, you, why do you think that was, Alan? Well, 
I made a list because I knew we had a podcast for which we're responsible. So one of the coolest things was the Chad Hat Party. That's always an annual tradition that I love. So I'll just go through the bulleted points and we can stop and discuss more of these. And some we've already talked about. I'm actually reading this right from my list. Uh, I kissed Patrick Nichol in front of Colby Dow at the Plaid Hat co- uh, party. Yeah, Patrick Nichol is the guy who has Crash Games, so you just shit all over his game. I kissed him. Uh, played Grizzled at the Chad Hat party. Played Chimera. Uh, at the Plaid Hat party, Isaac <laughs> Vega, he talked about how he thinks we should have reviews of reviewers, and that sounds pretty <laughs> awesome. Listen to Donald talk about why he hates code names and why the hype, it's not as good as all the hype. Because there are not uh, enough train cars and code names. And there's not enough train cars. <laughs> uh, listen to Chris Bryan explain why bycatch is awesome. And it made me feel like an idiot because I didn't realize why bycatch is awesome. We talked about bycatch shortly in the past. Played Punch Party with Alex Haig of Moniker's fame. Played Firewolf with Caitlin and Scott. Spent a lot of Scott. good time with uh, Alex Haig. Really got to hang out with him a lot. He's I love that guy. one of my favorite board game people just from a shared taste, shared design ethic, shared like idea of what board games could be. I feel like um, me and him and you, me and him have really great um, edifying con- conversations about, you know what I mean? Like what we could do and where we could go and yeah. uh, what's interesting about this and what's not interesting in particular. Um, super fun to yeah. get to play some games with him. You Mad Bro with Matt Fantastic and played codenames with Steve Wenacor and Travis Worthington. Uh, and yeah, that's that's what I have. That's a huge list of why it was very memorable because there were those key moments that were just amazing. But Sean, you said it best before the podcast. Why is BGGCon awesome? So this is something that I think a lot of aspiring game designers or game designers in general um, should be aware of, which is that I think BGGCon is by far the best con to pitch your games at. Um, better than Protospiel, certainly better than Gen Con. Um, and the reason is everyone's here and everyone's playing games. Nobody's selling. I mean, people are selling, but I mean, it's not like... People are up all night and the exhibit hall closes at six mm-hmm. and from six until like four in the morning, everyone and SBJ's pet neighbor's pet dog is playing games in the great hall. No ticketed events. There's, you know, speed dating, that kind of stuff. But the publishers are there. It's right after Essen. Everyone's calmed down and everyone, honestly, I feel like is looking for their games for next year. I know a lot of guys who sold or have deals or whatever, or gave out prototypes at BGG con, um, with big, big companies um, the plaid hat parties is, you know, I don't think of it this way, but I'm sure it's a great networking opportunity. Um, it's really a very solid con for seeing new games, uh, prototype games, games that came out of Essen games that are going to be hot. Um, it's a small show and I think it's hard to get into, but, uh, if you're pitching games and you're at Gen Con trying to get a 20 minute time slot with TMG or whatever, like I would urge you if your goal is to sell to skip it and instead put your energy into beach Um all the publishers designers they're all just there and people that are popular in industry like getting to hang out with rich summer of mad hat because um sorry mad men he's just hanging out there uh, it's just everyone's just chilling out playing games it's for the love of the industry so it kind of crosses all of those social barriers where you just walk up and say hey man what's up 
Yeah. You want to play a game? Yeah, let's play a game. People are and people are more game and willing to play games with strangers. I feel like at BGCon um, than at other shows. People will come up and and you know you'll put up a sign that says "Hey, players needed" or "Teacher needed," and people say, "Oh, you guys are playing a game? Cool, I'll play with you." There's so much to do at Gen Con. It's so know? funny. Remember Chimera? I'm playing Chimera, which is a <laughs> man game with Sean and Alex Haig, and this guy just walks up and he's just standing around the table. He wasn't even playing, but just chiming in with his own comments. Oh, I see. This is like teach you. Yeah, it's like teach you. It's like oh, oh, good move. And he just sat there and watched us play the entire the whole game. game, whole game, whole game. And it was one of these realizations. Yeah, this is BGGCon. It's basically some type of just gaming orgy where people are just totally chilled out, just playing all jumping sorts of in. games. Jumping in, jumping out, swapping, whatever. It's all there. Yeah, very, very cool. Um, we got to get you there, SBJ. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. What would what would you guys say the scale is like for somebody who hasn't been there? Gen Con, I think probably like 1,200 people, 1,600 people. It's, like that. it's small. It's, it's small. It's but small. it's a small venue. It's a small venue. It's small. I'd say it's smaller than Origins, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's way smaller than Origins. So you get some scale, but way bigger than any local con of just. Gen Con's like forty thousand people. Origins mm-hmm. is like ten thousand. I want to say or twelve thousand. This is, yeah, it's it's small, but it's yeah, absolutely. It's not like Yukon or. Uh, Con on the Cob or anything like that. It's yeah. it's a sizable convention. So, um, so you guys should, obviously we should being, take you next year. <laughs> absolutely. You guys being in the industry and you were you you were just talking about all the people in the industry you were playing with. Does that make somebody like my group of friends who aren't in the industry feel not 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 welcomed? But like, I know a lot of people that go just for the gaming. Um, you know, I, I made that big pitch to aspiring game designers because that's who I can empathize with the most. Um, but 90% of the people are just there to play games because in its purest form, BGGCon, you know, you pay for one, you pay for your badge and it's a little bit expensive, but there are no ticketed events. They have an amazing game library that includes all like the new stuff that just came out of Essen. People just set up and play games for free with strangers and friends. And it's a long show. It's a five day show, Wednesday through Sunday. Um, you know, play all weekend. So if your goal is to play games and only play games, Board Game Geek Con is absolutely for you. Uh, they the have shopping the extensive gaming library. So you can, exactly. if you think of it, it's there. We saw people playing. First thing, walk in straight off the plane. It's freaking midnight. So technically it's now Friday morning, midnight. I walk in, I sit down. There's this group of guys playing Fireball Island next to the table. <laughs> That's you're right. playing, what's the name of the game you were playing with, Travis? The Bloody Inn by Esmeralda. He was playing Bloody Inn. I sit down. They're like, oh, this is a popular game right now. It's kind of hot. These guys playing Fireball Island go, oh, dude, can we play World Championship Russian Roulette after this game of Fireball Island? Sure. So after they were done, they came down. We threw out Russian World Championship Russian Roulette. It's like that nonstop, one game after the other. So, Big, big highlight of the con for me is I'm really feeling like Russian Roulette is going to be awesome. Um, we get to play it with our manufacturers, Panda, which I think is an amazing, like, I can't believe we hadn't been doing that before, but they had so many good ideas about components and how to keep, you know, the cost low and how to, how to do really cool sets. And they had a great time. Um, Michael Lee, uh, one of the owners of Panda, his hand shaking as he's about to, he doesn't know how many, if he wants to draw his next card or not. It really solidified for me that, 
Russian Roulette is a really great game. I'm I'm really excited that we're going to be kickstarting here pretty soon. Uh, so keep an eye out. For me, the high praise was from Travis Worthington because mm. his business model of indie board and cards is we only publish great games. He gets all these game submissions, but unless it's great, it could be a really solid, good game. But unless it's great, he's not interested. And that's his opinion. So he really likes to publish tried and true games, hence Coup and Resistance, because they were around a long time before he actually published them. But his suggestion that he would publish the game was really hats off. So I was pretty excited. Mm-hmm. Hi- highlight for me also was... Um Board with Life did a premiere of an episode from the upcoming season. So amazing, man. (laughs) It was better than any movie I've seen in 2015. And I'll say that again. This like 30 minutes of Board with Life premiere, it was episode three, right, of season two? I think so. I think so. Those 30 minutes were better than any movie I've seen in 2015. But I'm biased because I know the people in there. It's (laughs) definitely industry related. So funny, but I'm sorry, Sean. I stopped. No, all no, absolutely. I can't sing these guys' praises enough. This is a high quality show. It's not just like a web series. It's not just like a board gaming series. It is funny. It's well written. It's well acted. It's well shot. It's beautiful. Um, I don't know how they did it on the budget they had, um, and it's just hilarious. I really, I think it's coming out in February. Um, if you haven't seen their first season, you don't have to, you can, their trailers out right now, (laughs) the trailers out. Um, it is going to be amazing. My, the basic pitch is it's the league for board games. It's not a review show. It's not a, how to play show. It is a comedy about people who play board games, much like the office is a comedy about people who work at a paper factory. Paper enters into it very little. Um, and they have way more board gaming than, you know, there's paper paper in the office, but, uh, (laughs) But, you know, if you're if you're going looking for the next review show or the next how to play show, this is not that. But if you're looking for a hilarious show um, that's just insanely well written and happens to be set in our genre, uh, you really couldn't do better than these guys. It's fantastic. Here's the genius of their episodes is that e- each episode is themed around the game they're playing. So in the episode mm-hmm. we watched, they were playing Dead of Winter. And they were trying to figure out within the story of the episode who amongst them is a betrayer But while they're playing the game. And it's very thin. I don't think most people recognize that as they're watching the episode. It's like, oh, they're playing Dead of Winter. But also what's going on around them in the episode dramatically is like the Dead of Winter. <laughs> it's insane. These guys are, I, I don't want to say like, it's beneath them, but like. They put levels of work into the show that people who do this kind of thing don't put in. There's like subtext and symbolism and, you know, characters grow and change um, and all these things. And in the end, at its very core, it's just a really funny show, um, you know, about a group of friends. Uh, But these guys did not phone it in for a second. Every uh, second of that show is just amazing. I I can't overhype it enough. It's going to be better than Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd probably want to say unless you have any questions SPJ I want to explain one of my highlights and and go into detail of the kiss with Patrick Nickel (laughs) and how intense that was I was uh, going to ask I'm trying to think of what our listeners would ask if they've never been do you think the con suffers for being so close to Thanksgiving absolutely 
in in a way, I think, because I definitely heard people say within the industry that they're exhausted because they had to fly from one show to this one, and then there's BGG Con, and then they have to go home and celebrate Thanksgiving. So there's definitely this error in some people's minds of stress where they're traveling. I even have it. Yeah. Yeah, and then we have to travel for Thanksgiving. So I think it does hurt the con in in a way. Um, you could also look at it from the other perspective that it kind of keeps out the tire kickers. Everybody who's there really wants to be there. Um, from it's a also known perspective. as yeah, it's known as the last con of the year as well. So it's kind of like all right, after this, it's holiday season, and we're done for the year. <laughs> mm-hmm. From the industry standpoint, I don't know about the gamers, but it really does feel like okay, let's do it. Um, I was really dreading going, to be honest. I was like, I, I was went- too. And as soon as I went there, it was an instant reminder of like, oh yeah, that's right. This is potentially one of my favorite cons ever. So amazing. It's just, it. the best way to explain it is it's the reunion for summer camp because mm-hmm. you kind of see these people in passing during the shows where you're really busy and you make these friends with Steve Avery and Patrick Nichol and Travis Worthington and all these people we've been mentioning, mentioning uh, Don Stroud, even though he wasn't there, I just want to mention him. But anyways... Yeah. Uh, and then BGG Con, it's like, hey, reunion, we all get to just relax and hang out with each other. Woo! So it's that whole summer camp where you get there and you hang out with your friends you only get to see about once a year. Before the long winter. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Kiss time? Sure. Kiss time. Okay. Lay it on me. So uh, the Chad Hat Party is Chad Hoveter is a sculptor in the industry. He does amazing work. He did the sculpts for all of the Mice and Mystics games. And he throws a party every year. And it's kind of, you get to rub elbows of the who's who's. But this year, Plaid Hat threw it at their new place of business because they moved from Ohio, my city, or state rather, <laughs> to Sean's city and state. Dallas. So we're at their party. Really close by. Yeah, really close to where Sean lives. It's crazy. And there's Patrick Nichol, and he's this amazingly jovial, nice guy. I would say by far one of the nicest guys in the industry. He loves unconditionally almost right away. He just falls in love, and you fall in love with him. Big bear hugs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's the shorter guy with the big, burly beard, and he's the one who runs uh, Crash Games. And one of the things that I remember a lot about Patrick that really got me is he came up to me and said, Hey man, I want you to know I will back anything that you guys put on Kickstarter. I don't care if it's a turd because I'm backing you, not your game. Cause I love you, man. And then he gives me this big hug. I'm like, Oh, that was pretty sweet. But anyways, he has these great hellos and sure enough, he sees me from across the room and this is at the plaid hat. There's a whole bunch of plaid hat people there, including Colby Dow. Uh, you know, basically the owner. And Kodiak host. Colby. Kodiak Colby. And Colby's just in the background because I was talking to Colby and in comes Patrick and he starts leaning in like he's going to kiss me. And I put my hand up and I say, Patrick, I have to warn you, I never back down from gay chicken. But if you want to keep on going with this, go for it. And he keeps leaning in. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and he's definitely resisting and I'm just sucking face with Patrick. Amazing. My wife's really proud of me. So anyway. <laughs> One of the highlights because <laughs> Colby's reaction was pretty priceless. I got to set the scene after the whole story because 
Patrick's wearing like a pink codename shirt, a green holiday vest, so, like a plaid hat hat on sideways. He looks ridiculous <laughs> at this party. So yeah, yep. amazing party. Any other questions about BGG Con? Uh, so you, let's back up a little bit. You said there was no games being sold or just very little. They have a, they actually have two dealer halls. Um, but because of the smaller size, uh, you know, there's people running booths there. Travis at Indie Boards and Cards, I set up his booth for him, built his booth for him, and within the first day, he just took all his games, sold them to Funny Games, and put up a sign in his booth that said, we're playing games. Um, he basically said, I don't want to be working at this con, I want to play, and just put up a sign. And I don't think Travis would do that if he knew he was going to lose a ton of money because of it. Got it. So yeah, there are good games there. You know, you could have bought from Plaid Hat. You could have bought from Arcane Wonders is there. That new game Origins by the guy who made Pandemic Legacy was there. There's games there for Favor sure. Of the Pharaoh, Favor of the Pharaoh. Favor of the Pharaoh. A lot of great stuff. It's just not like Gen Con where it's a feeding frenzy of uh, buying and selling. And I mean, Al and I still bought, you know, probably $100 worth of games. Yeah, um, it's not like there's wife. nothing to buy. But um, it's just not... You know, there's like no cosplay. There's no artist alley. Not that those things are bad, but it's really they try to keep everything down to. I mean, they're bad games. <laughs> I mean, they're bad. <laughs> they're bad. First hard stance SBJ's had on the show. I love it. The best way to explain BGG Con in short is you get off the airplane at Dallas, and the the hotel is connected. You just walk on in, you go downstairs, and there's this great hall, which is supposed to be sequestered into different parts, but realistically, they have all these open, and it's filled with nothing but table after table, so you're just looking at hundreds upon hundreds of people, all playing games, all the time, the entire weekend. (laughs) My only complaint is, uh, since it's at the airport, you can't make you, like Dallas has some great restaurants here, you can't get to them, it's a 30 minute drive. Um, so you got you have to eat hotel food, or you have to you food know court. Get take out food. There's no food court. There's like two restaurants, like a it's like three dollars for buffet. bottled water and two fifty for a thing of Rolos. It's just insane. It's like eating at a concert for three days. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah. What about the the actual space? Like, is is it like a nice venue, clean, like hotels are okay? or yeah, Because of the lack so. of people, it doesn't get nearly as dirty as Gen Con. Um, it doesn't get as stinky, but don't get me wrong. There's still some gamer funk, but it's usually from the gamers themselves, not in the entire room. And it's not like Origins is huge, and sometimes it feels empty because of how big that convention center is. This is like one ballroom with, you know, 500 tables in it. Everybody's playing, and then, you know two dozen side rooms where people are playing werewolf or role-playing games or Artemis. Um, and then two small dealer holes and a board game library. It's, it's pretty small, but every square inch is used. Um, they're getting close to filling that place out to capacity. And then they move to something bigger. Yeah, I hope so. Cool. Well, I don't think I have any more questions unless you guys have any more sh- stories to share. I mean, no, we've got so many, but we're so over time. <laughs> yeah. I think we should start getting excited about the holiday season coming up because Absolutely. that's when pe- people start giving each other games. Yeah, so we're, what, three weeks out? Probably three more episodes until um, Christmas? Yeah. That's if right. we celebrate that. 
So what we're going to do is every week we're going to pick a specific category of games that uh, we would recommend if you were looking to purchase for either yourself for the holidays or uh, a friend or family member for the holidays. And uh, I don't know if if we want to talk about it now, but before the show we were talking about doing the more expensive games right off the bat uh, for next week. I think so. That way you have more time to decide whether or not you want to buy it. And near the end, it'll be more impulse stocking stuffer type buys. Right, like, oh, crap, I forgot to buy something for Tiffany. Uh, uh, Everybody's getting Farkle. $5 to my name. (laughs) Yeah, Farkle. Dragon Farkle. Yeah, so that's that's what we have planned for next week. And... I got I got a little shout out, just a request. Sure. For people to go ahead and email us at podcast at Tuesday Night Games with not only comments or questions, but also I want the fans to send us ideas for the elevator passengers so we don't have to make them up. I thought we had some good ones today. But <laughs> I'd like to hear some elevator passenger ideas as well. Yeah, you could email us pretty much about anything. Um even if you don't like the show or you don't like Alan. Um, Whoa, well, you really emphasize that. <laughs> That's your chance, people. I, I like to give you a hard time. Um, Let me have it. But that's uh, podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. And uh, this will be our, I think, last episode for our Two Rooms in a Boom contest. So if you want to win a copy of Two Rooms in a Boom, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. And then any of the November reviews will be entered into and we'll be a little lenient in the first couple of days of December, depending on when you listen to this. Um, and we'll pick a winner and we'll send out that. Co- uh, we'll send you out a copy of Two Rooms and a Boom. And uh, thank you to everyone who has left us reviews in iTunes. I don't know if you guys know, but um, when somebody leaves a review, it helps other people find the show easier. Yeah. It, like boosts boost us, especially when you give us more stars. Yeah, I don't know if that's true, but I love saying it. More stars, more power. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you guys have anything else before we wrap up? I'm I just want to say next episode, we should also have a big uh, interaction satisfaction where we read all these emails everyone's going to send us. Hopefully. So get on it, people. <laughs> yeah, it. it's up to you. The show depends on you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Alan, where can they find you? Uh, you can just look for Alan Girding on Facebook because I'm lonely and always accept any friend request. I'm gross like that. Or on Twitter, I'm at... Alan Girding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R, ding, D-I-N-G. Awesome. Sean, where can they find you? Don't look for me on Facebook, particularly if you don't have a profile picture. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at S-E-A-N, Sean like Sean Connery, McCoy, like the real. Awesome. You can follow me on Twitter. It is at Dragging A Lake. This episode is... Flemished. Finished. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> He's such a dirtbag, I love you. <laughs>